so today we're going to continue our series uh, called The Adventure, and we're still in John 8, which we looked at some last week. Um, and today we've got a little bit longer passage of Scripture, so I'm going to invite us to do two things. One, if there's a Bible in the chair in front of you, you can get it out. And if you brought your own, awesome, more power to you. Uh, but if it, you're looking in the Bible in the chair in front of you, it's on page 1,662. Page 1,662. And because it's a little bit longer passage of Scripture today, too, I'm going to invite us to stand up uh, so we can just kind of pay attention to what we're hearing and uh, get ready to receive what God wants to teach us today. So this is John 8, verse, beginning in verse 31, page 1662. It's also up on the screen for you to follow along as we continue this adventure through the Gospel of John together. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things that Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only only father we have is God himself. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. As at this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. 
If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is God's word to us. You can be seated. As we've been embarking and engaged in this adventure through the Gospel of John, it's more and more clear that we need light to live by on this adventure. In ourselves, we experience darkness around us, darkness in ourselves sometimes, and we need light to show us the way forward. And Jesus is that light. And uh, on Tuesday mornings, I get together with a guys group, and we meet in the lobby at the church, mainly because that's where the heat works best in all of our buildings, uh, is right out there in the lobby. But one of the things that I found when we've been doing this uh, lately, we used to meet in the prayer room, and it was freezing. So we meet out in the lobby. Here's the thing that happens. I drive in, I get up at 545, drive in, and it is dark. We meet in the lobby, and we turn the lights on. It's warm in there, but it's still dark outside. As we start to share our lives and what's going on, the ways we've experienced God's grace together, and then we open up God's word together at about 7.15, by that point, dawn has happened. Light. God has brought light, and there's a new day. And as we're entering into God's word together, we're experiencing or seeing physically that light. Spiritually, what's happening? We're being enlightened by God. God is showing us who he is through the scriptures, and he's showing us how to live in light of his scriptures. We experience that reality each and every time we meet. And that's part of why we encourage you to get into a growth group. But every follower of Jesus ultimately can live freely on the adventure if we're willing to put Jesus' teaching into practice in our lives. Jesus here in this story makes a series of claims about himself, and each claim is met with a challenge. There's pushback from his enemies and those who don't want to receive his teaching as true. Each claim claim Jesus meets, or each claim is made, there's a challenge from his enemies, and then Jesus makes another claim, and then another claim. In between the passage that Greg preached on last week and the, the one that I read, there were actually three huge claims that Jesus made, and I want to talk about those for a minute. The first claim comes from John 8, 12, and that claim is Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We heard that affirmation last week, but this is huge. Jesus is saying, I am, I am the light of the world. Where does the I am come from? Well, if you look back in the Old Testament, Moses is interacting with God at the burning bush. He's told to go and free the Israelites from Egypt. And Moses asks God, he says, well, who do I say has sent me if I'm to go? And God said, I am who I am. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, that is ego, a me. I am, I exist, I I am who who I say I am. Well, when Jesus then says, I am the light of the world, Or Jesus has already said, uh, I am the bread of life. He's going to say in John's gospel, I am the door, I'm the way to God. 
He's going to say, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. You are the branches. Each of these I am statements in the Gospel of John, and there are seven of them, said 26 different times throughout John's Gospel. Jesus is saying, I am God. Jesus is saying, I am the one who revealed himself to Moses and freed the Israelites from Egypt. I am, and I'm now with you. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's making a very specific claim. You see, in John 8, 20, we are told that Jesus was teaching in the place where the offering, offerings were received in the temple. And in that same place, there were several candles up. And the candles in that place of the temple were meant to symbolize the light that Jesus gave the Israelites when they were wandering through the desert. We're told there was a a pillar of fire by night that enlightened the way for the Israelites so they knew where to go and they could even travel in the dark. Well, Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I am the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt and through the desert and into the promised land. I am he. Jesus is making an amazing truth claim here. He's the one. He's the one that enlightens us, who shows us God, reveals God to us. He is God in the flesh, and he is the one that can light our way, light our path forward. He is the one who can not only set us free, but help us to live freely, as we're going to talk about further today. Second huge claim Jesus makes in that part of John 8 is in John 8, 18. He says, I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. You may recall that in the Jewish court of law, nothing could be validated without two witnesses. In other words, if I testified for myself, hey, I didn't run that red light. You know, the cop lied. In a Jewish court of law, that wouldn't hold up. You needed somebody else there to say, no, no, the light was yellow and Mike ran that light. (laughs) He shouldn't get a ticket. Okay, Jesus is saying, I testify to myself. He's, He's revealing himself to them. But he says, my father is the one who testifies to me. Jesus is saying the second witness that validates who he is as the truth is the father himself. Recall that when Jesus was baptized, the father said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus' identity as the one and only son of God was affirmed by the father. So Jesus has a second witness and it's the father. He's saying whatever I tell you is validated or the veracity, the truth of what, I, what I'm saying is proved true or affirmed by the Father who has affirmed me as his son. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. The Father affirms what I'm saying. And then he says the third truth claim in John 8, 28 is when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. Jesus is saying the ultimate verification of his teaching is that he was willing to die for us and ultimately be risen again. It's only ultimately as he dies, as he sacrifices himself for us, that he ultimately shows us God's love for us, and then he's validated through his resurrection. The Father raises him up from the grave. We sing, ain't no grave today. Uh, Just, you know, hey, we're not stuck in, in the grave, in the future. When we each die, we're gonna talk about the reality of death today, that we know that we're ultimately gonna be raised up through Jesus. There's no grave that can hold us down because Jesus overcame the grave. And we can have hope and live freely and not fear death then as a result. So when Jesus invites them to follow him, he's inviting them to follow who he is as the light, 
as the one who's been verified by the Father and ultimately the one that has, will be lifted up in his death and ultimately be raised from the dead. And that is what ultimately verifies or proves true his claims. Jesus now says, if you want to follow me, if you want to live freely, and all of us want freedom, I think that's a, a prime thing we're all wanting for spiritually, he says this. He says to live freely, you need three things. And the first one is to know the truth. If you want to live freely... In light of what Jesus has done for you, if you want to live freely as a follower of Jesus, you need to know the truth. Jesus says in in John 8, 31, therefore he's saying to the Jews that believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. To be a disciple simply means be an apprentice, be a learner or follower, be a student, be somebody who is seeking to take in who Jesus is and his teachings and And show that in the way you live your life. Being a student or follower isn't easy. Sometimes we get things wrong. Sometimes we miss the mark. But we're seeking to grow and mature in in our our understanding of Jesus. And this uh, knowing the truth means knowing Jesus because Jesus is the truth. He claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. So before it is about following his teachings, it's actually about following him first and knowing him. So what this means is the more we know Jesus, the more we abide in relationship with Jesus. And that just means to remain or stay or rest in. It's a big word in the Gospel of John. The more we do that, the more we're going to live freely and lightly. And And we're reflecting that we're sort of basking in the love of God by the way we live our lives. Jesus goes on to say in John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is saying that if you want to know true freedom spiritually, you need to know me and the truth of my teaching. One of the songs that that, uh, we sang this morning too said, speak what is true. You know, we're singing that. We're affirming that. Lord, we need you to speak what is true. And that is what is true about you, who he claimed to be. And that's also true about us. And the truth about us is we need Jesus. We need a savior. We cannot save ourselves. So when we encounter the truth of Jesus, it's actually first a hard word. It's recognizing. We can't save ourselves. We can't, you know, pull ourselves up. We can't rescue ourselves. We need Jesus to do that for us. You know, freedom then is about an encounter with with Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of his spirit. And that's what frees us. This isn't about political freedom. This isn't about like intellectual freedom, like the more you take in, the more you know intellectually, the more free you're going to be. Um, I have a couple of advanced degrees. I went back and got a master's degree and a doctorate degree. Knowledge by itself through those degrees did not free me. In fact, the more I studied, the more I realized I didn't know. (laughs) And and the more I realized like, oh, I'd have to learn more and more and more. And I always said, you know, I have this master of divinity degree and that degree is preposterous because... No one's going to master God. And what a ridiculous title for a degree. So I have a degree that actually is totally false in its claim. And the more I studied, the more I realized how much I didn't know. And the more I realized I needed to be a a lifelong learner. There's always going to be things to learn. So the truth in terms of just intellectual pursuit is not what frees us. What frees us is the spirit of truth the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. 
And in John 16, Jesus says, calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. When the Holy Spirit comes in our life, he enables us to know about God, know Jesus, and frees us as we follow his teachings. Our culture has gotten this backwards because when they hear that phrase and when Jesus says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, they think about freedom being like through personal autonomy or just being given a range of freedoms. And and then we get to do what we want. But Jesus actually says, freedom is found in relationship with me and resting in what I have done for you. Finding your identity in me and living out my teachings. I have often said that the Ten Commandments would actually be called the Ten Freedoms. Because if you tell the truth and you don't lie, you stay free, right? When you lie, you're just worried about being found out. Okay, when when am I going to get caught in this lie? I could tell you that for Josh and Levi, honoring their father and mother leads to more freedom. Dishonoring us? Not so much. If you want freedom... It means living out the teachings that Jesus has given and actually being shaped and molded through that relationship with him. Real sonship comes as we rest in him and as we find his freedom and live out that relationship. That's point number one. If you want to live freely, you need to know the truth. Point number two here of these three is to know that we belong as a son or daughter. You know what enables us to live freely spiritually is our knowledge that you are a child of God. And Jesus says this, now a slave, in verse 35 and 36, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Who sets us free? Jesus does. Jesus, through our forgiveness, sets us free to live a new life. If the son sets you free, Jesus is the one that has to do that work in us. We cannot free ourselves. It's like, you know, through our sin, we're locked in a prison and, and, and the, the gate is, is closed, okay, and we're inside and we don't have the keys, but Jesus has the keys. And he comes and he lives his life for us. He opens the door and lets us out. He lets us live into the freedom that he's won for us. And that freedom comes as we rest in our identity as a son or daughter of the living God. You see, there's freedom in being a son or daughter versus being a slave. And Jesus draws this contrast. A slave, he says, is not free. A slave is always trying to kind of earn their keep. And a slave has no permanent place in the family. Okay? They're not really, they're connected to the family, but they're not really part of the family. And what Jesus is saying is currently, because of your sin, you're slaves. And you're trying to be better. But you're never going to earn your freedom or place to, simply by trying to be better. What's going to re- enable you to find freedom, true spiritual freedom, is resting in your identity as a son or daughter of God. To know who you are in Jesus. Uh, you know, when I was growing up as a, a son, the middle of three boys, I would blow it. And my son, I mean, my parents would let me know when I blew it. <laughs> But I don't remember ever questioning a time, I remember questioning whether I was still their son when I, when I blew it. That was not at stake. And when I discipline my boys, when I'm helping to raise them, grow them up as followers of Jesus, as disciples, there's going to be times of correction. There's going to be times of, hey, miss the mark a little bit, that one. But I never want them to question whether they're my son. Okay? 
And I want them to experience the freedom of knowing they are loved as my children, as my sons, apart from whether they got it right that day or got it wrong. And God wants you to experience freedom by knowing that you're a child of God and that nothing you face today can call that into question. It's not about doing better today than you did yesterday. It's not about, you know, getting more things right. We are all going to miss the mark. Pastor Greg last week shared that the night before, uh, Courtney had, had wanted a group to go out and go axe throwing. I was a part of that group. And what I found quickly was this. Nobody was going to hit the center mark with their axe throwing 100% of the time. In fact, uh, most of us were hitting the walls. The axe wasn't even sticking. I mean, the axe was going like all over the place. I'm surprised that no one lost a limb. We had an EMT in the group, and I asked him, hey, have you ever gotten a call here because there's been something? He's like, oh, yeah, I've been called down here because of the axe throwing. None of us is going to hit the mark 100% of the time with the way we live our lives, okay? And, and what happens is if we think we're not good enough to be here today, if we think we're not good enough to receive God's grace and mercy, what we're doing is we're enslaving ourselves, and we're thinking that we have to earn God's favor through our good works. And we're never going to make it that way, and we're never going to live freely as long as we believe in that. This is what was at stake in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. You remember that story? I have Abby put up the, the Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. This is my favorite painting. Uh, and I've said this before, but in my office, it's actually in four different points in my office because I always want to kind of have it in sight and have it in mind as I'm meeting with people. And in this painting, we see the younger son who, who's just worn out. I mean, he's lost one of his shoes. He's tired. He's ragged. And he had, had taken the inheritance that the father gave him, and it says that he went off to a far-off country, and he lost all that inheritance in wild living, okay? He had taken the good gifts of the father and squandered them. And what we're told in the parable is that in that far-off country, having lived apart from the father, the son comes to this point of recognition that his life is so miserable there that it would be better for him to be a slave in his father's house than where he was. And we're told that the son comes back to the father with the plan that he's just going to be accepted as a slave in the house. And he's going to somehow earn his keep in being back in the house of his father. What happens in the parable? The father doesn't want him as a slave. The father wants him as a son. He restores his sense of belonging and love and connection and identity once again. The father runs out to meet him and wraps him up in his loving arms and puts a robe around him, puts a ring on his finger, kills a fattened calf and says, we're going to celebrate because the son of mine reclaims him as a son, was dead but is alive again. Church, he doesn't want you as a slave. He doesn't want you wearing yourself out trying to live freely by just doing the right things. He wants you as a son or daughter of his and then to live out that family likeness and that identity in the way you live. Not to earn being his son or daughter, but to reflect that in the way you live. And that is the gospel, friends. That's the good news 
Not that we can get, do better. Not that we have to try to, you know, that we're, we're kind of getting it right more of the time. No, the gospel is we get it wrong, and Jesus has done what, for us what we needed so that we could be made right. And that leads to the third invitation in a way of staying free. Simply stand firm. The freedom Christ for one for us is to be maintained. In Galatians 5.1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Jesus is saying to follow his way as his disciple leads to freedom for us. Some people push away God's teachings and the Bible thinking, no, that restrains me. No, what frees you is living it out and standing firm in that freedom. Do we live in light of that freedom every day? No. Sometimes, through our addictive tendencies, sinful actions, we basically enslave ourselves once again. Jesus is saying, and echoed in Paul there, to stand firm in what God has done for you and to rest in your freedom. That that is the way you're going to live freely and lightly. So we have to know the truth. We need to rest and celebrate our identity as children of God. And we need to stand firm in the freedom that Jesus has won for us. And the issue here is all about identity and belonging. And notice in the course of the conversation, the key question that they're wrestling with is this. Who is your father? Or in our modern parlance, who's your daddy? And the Jews are basically saying, well, Abraham's our father. We're children of Abraham. And they basically, they're arguing with Jesus saying, because they were descendants of Abraham, they are in God's favor and they are good. And they actually even go to the lengths of trying to say, yeah, we've never been slaves. We've always been free because we're Abraham's children. So you're saying we have to be freed from slavery. And what kind of like, what do you mean by that? We're, We're Abraham's descendants. We're children of Abraham. And therefore, we're already free. And I I love the fact that they they argue this. We're free because we're descendants of Abraham. Did they forget Egypt? Did they forget the Babylonian exile? Did they forget how bad the period of the judges were? Did they forget the fact that they were currently under Roman occupation? They were not free just because they were descendants of Abraham. They had been enslaved again and again and again. Jesus is saying, it's not your heritage that that gets you God's favor. For us, let's translate it. It's not because you grew up in the church. It's not even because you're a member of the church that earns you God's favor. That's not it. What's it is a relationship with Jesus and finding your identity as a son or daughter of the living God through him and not just through your heritage not just through you know you haven't grown up in the church real sonship is about connectedness to god through jesus and when we do a new members class next week we get to welcome in eight to ten new members great folks that are coming and being a part of our church family what i tell them is it's not about your external church membership that then you know gives you favor with god It's that God has given you favor in Jesus and you want to be joined to Jesus and you want to be joined and connected to a church family to be reminded of your identity as a son or daughter of the living God in a continued way. And that's what leads to living in light of the freedom that God has won for you. If you think that freedom has just come through a godly heritage or you haven't grown up in the church, there's a lot of people I know that grew up in the church but aren't currently living a free life 
through what Jesus has done. They're enslaved by sin. And it's not their identity in terms of having grown up in the church that is going to save them. In fact, Jesus presses the point and he basically says, it's not even that Abraham is your father that's what's going to give you God's favor. In fact, he presses the point and says, your father is, is Satan. Ouch. And he basically is saying, hey, you're trying to kill me. And, and, and you're not receiving the truth that I'm teaching you. In other words, you've given in to lies. And in that, you're proving that you're being led by Satan, not by God. Man, here they are resting in, oh, we're children of Abraham. We're okay. And Jesus says, you are not okay. In fact, you've given in to the spirit of this age of Satan. And he is the one that's leading you right now in rejecting the truth and in wanting to kill me. Friends, the reality is, the spirit of this age, Satan, is alive and at work in this world. And many of us have given in to the false claims of this world, thinking just living in light of the way the world does is what's going to kind of free us. And we are not free as a result. In fact, we're more and more enslaved than ever. To be free, Jesus says, is to truly have God as your father. And to you, for you to live out your identity as a child of God through what Jesus has done for you. It's recognizing that the truth of Jesus speaks to the reality that we need a Savior and he is it and we are not. And Jesus says in, in John 1.12, we're told him, yet to all who received him, to receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Our identity is found in our response to Jesus. And when we accept Jesus, then we can live freely as a result of our identity. And that freedom as children of God through Jesus frees us from the greatest fear we have. And that's the fear of death. And Jesus says in his word that what ultimately frees us is, if, is his word and our reception of it. And he says three main things towards the end of the passage. He says, if we receive his word and his truth, we will never see death. We will never taste death. And we will know God. Jesus' word speaks to the reality of our need for a savior and that if we accept Jesus and then live out that relationship, we are gonna live free and we're not gonna fear the greatest enemy and that's death. Because we know that, like Paul talks about in Romans 8 and 9, that, that, that death ultimately is not the final word. Jesus' word over us is. And Jesus says, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I've claimed you in my love, and you're okay, not because of your growing up in the church, or not because you've you know, just following the ways of the world. You're okay, and I'm accepting you because of how you've responded to me if you've invited me into your heart and into your life. Some of you have shared great pain, I've shared great pain with you over the last six weeks or so. Um, I've done a number of memorial services in that stretch. And in each one of those, what do we want? We want assurance in knowing that loved one is now with God, has been freed from the power of death. And friends, that assurance comes through our own receptivity of Jesus. And here's the thing, and this is an interesting way to think about it. At your memorial service, do you want to give your friends and family any doubt of where you are? I don't want to give my friends and family any doubt of where I am. And so I want to accept and receive Jesus and live out that relationship 
and give them a sense of assurance that we're not only going to see Jesus one day, we're going to see one another again one day and rejoice in him. And friends, that's freedom. Freedom and the assurance I have that I'm going to see my daughter again in heaven, that Kylie's already there and going to be a part of that welcoming party. Freedom, knowing that all those I know and love who have placed their trust in Jesus are there with him. And then I'm going to see them again. And that's freedom then from the power of death. It's not that we don't die physically. We all will. And the Israelites knew that Jesus, they wrestled with Jesus in this. They're like, wait, Abraham died. What are you talking about? Well, then Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus ultimately has the power as the creator of the world who came into the world and who overcame the world and overcame the power of death because of who he is. We can find assurance and we can find freedom and we can live freely in the here and now in light of eternity, in light of what Jesus has done. So friends, the Son has set you free. Live freely indeed. Live out loud today. Live out your identity in Jesus and make that known. And don't get caught up in thinking, ah, it's because I grew up in the church, I'm good, or I'm a pretty good guy. No, we all fall short. We all miss the mark, and we all need Jesus to free us. And go out and live out that freedom, not just in autonomy and doing whatever you want to do, but go out and live that identity out as a son or daughter of the living God. Amen? Amen.